Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 435 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I could not be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Today, we are going to be talking about asset allocation strategies, okay? Uh, and if you don't know what asset allocation means or what you may think that this episode is not for you, I promise you, anybody who invests uh, needs to understand asset allocation. And I'll talk about what it is, uh, why it is useful, and ultimately uh, why some of these strategies can be valuable for you, right? And you still may be thinking, hey, this is above my head. This is above my pay grade, something I'm not interested in. I promise you there's a little something for everybody uh, in today's episode. So stick around for a discussion of all that and more uh, in today's episode. Before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials uh, to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. Then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you were interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, for those of you who may be new to investing, right, or those of you who may not know a whole lot uh, about the investing world, even though you may be investing yourself and maybe investing gets you really jittery and scared and freaked out and you sell when the market drops and you're, you know, freaked out all the time, right? Any lack of knowledge about investing can be pretty easily, um, be pretty easily fixed, right? Be pretty easily resolved. And in my opinion, one of the best ways to easily resolve it uh, is to simply help you know what you're holding and help you to know who you are, okay? Knowing who you are, in my opinion, is the most valuable thing you can do in your investing life, right? Because there are 100% people uh, who have very little problem with, with tons of risk, right? With putting their money basically uh, as gambling chips on a table and just telling you to go for it, right? Uh, there are people who do that, right? and you know, whatever, that's not investing, but uh, that's what some people do, okay? And they live with that. Whether they like losing the money as much as they do or not, they live with it, right? Um, but when you are investing, you're basically making a decision, right? You're making a decision, uh, and really a group of decisions, but you're making a decision as to how much return you want for how much risk you're willing to take. Because quite generally, there's this spectrum of taking more risk over a long period of time would lead to making more returns, all else equal. Now, that's not to say if you try to invest in one very risky thing, you should expect that you make super high returns instead of losing all of your money, right? But instead, uh, let's say if you invested in like a thousand risky things, right? You should expect that investing in a thousand very risky things uh, should return you more than investing in a thousand not so risky things, right? Because you are getting paid what's called a risk premium. You're getting paid for taking on the risk of the investment, 
Okay. Uh, so you need to know yourself, know how much risk you are willing to take, know how much volatility you are willing to endure. Uh, and if you know yourself, then you can choose the investments that meet uh, that risk uh, profile, right? That uh, level of risk aversion that you may have. And then you can ultimately move forward in your investing life with a lot um, of surety that when things may go bad, then you will be okay. Now, what's that have to do with asset allocation strategies? Well, what that has to do with is the fact that the amount of risk that you are willing to take is going to directly lead into what your asset allocation looks like, right? Uh, because for years and years and years, for, you know, and even now, right? A lot of people use portfolios that are only made up of three asset classes, and that's stocks, bonds, and cash. And there's nothing wrong with trying to build a portfolio around stocks, bonds, and cash. Myself, I don't hold any bonds, so I really just build my portfolio on stocks and very, very, very small amounts of cash, okay? But that's based on the asset allocation I'm comfortable with, based on my risk profile, based on where I'm at in life, all these different types of things, right? Um, but over a long period of time, stocks, bonds, and cash has been very common. And the reason is, is that stocks and bonds over long periods of time don't move in the same direction, right? Uh, and over shorter periods of time, uh, bonds are less volatile than stocks are. Over long periods of time, actually, though, uh, stocks become less uh, volatile than bonds um, on average. So just an interesting little thing there. But in the short term, uh, it's always been you know thought of as like bonds are lower risk and stocks are uh, higher risk, right? Uh, and so people who are you know more conservative, less, you know, risk-taking uh, willingness, they're going to invest more in bonds and cash and less in stocks, right? And then the opposite being true. The more risk somebody's willing to take, the more they'll put in stocks relative to uh, bonds and cash. And that's just simple asset allocation, right? But this idea of asset allocation isn't necessarily a choose one and stick to it forever type thing, right? It's just a way that we go about uh, decreasing risk based on where we're at in our life and who we are as investors. Because asset allocation is not the only way to decrease risk, right? We can also decrease risk through diversification uh, by looking at the types of stocks that we own, not just investing all of our stock allocation into one stock, right? But instead investing it into uh, a multitude of stocks, a total stock market index, a S&P 500 index, or whatever, right? Um, but decreasing our risk um, based on the fact that we don't need to take unnecessary risk to get the returns that we need, okay? So we can do that as well. But what we're interested in today uh, are the strategies around asset allocation because um, there are many ways that you can look at the types of assets that you decide to be invested in. And based on how you view um, your asset allocation, you can um, you know, make differing decisions. You can uh, adjust your risk profile. You can adjust the way that you're invested based on certain things going on. You can do all different types of things. We're going to talk about them in uh, today's episode. But um, there's a lot of right answers as to how you can allocate your assets take the proper amount of risk, and uh, be a very effective uh, investor over a long period of time. So let's just jump into um, this idea of asset allocation, right? Um, there are several different strategies that you can use uh, to establish an asset allocation, uh, but we're going to look at six different ones in today's episode. So the first type of asset allocation strategy is a strategic 
asset allocation. So this establishes and adheres to a base policy mix, right? So a proportional combination of assets based on expected rates of return for each asset class. So you also need to take your risk tolerance and investment timeframe into account. Okay, an investment time frame is actually quite important when it comes to asset allocation as well, because if you need something uh, very soon, putting it to risk in the stock market is going to likely be a bad idea. Now, that's not to say you wouldn't make money. That's just to say that the risk of losing money may be too much uh, for you. So uh, investment time frame definitely matters. So you can set your targets, right? So you set whatever target uh, asset allocation you want. So let's say um, you want like a 70-30 portfolio where you have 70% stocks, 30% bonds and cash, right? So you set your targets and then let's say every year you rebalance and you may say, okay, what do you mean by rebalance? Well, what I mean is you pick these bounds and then over the course of the year, let's say the stock market's going up and you know, your bonds are declining in value, right? Which we've seen in the recent past. Well, you're going to end up with a very high stock allocation relative to your bond and cash allocation. So uh, those uh, percentages don't just stay the same. As those assets either grow in value or decline in value, you'll see changes. And so let's say every year you just go back and you rebalance, right? So you would have to sell stocks in order to buy bonds or cash, okay? Now, a strategic asset allocation strategy may be akin to the buy and hold strategy, right? So this is basically just pick something, right? Pick an asset allocation that's related to your risk tolerance and your investing time frame, um, and go with it, right? And then just make decisions as you go of rebalancing and things like that, right? Uh, and this heavily uh, suggests diversification uh, to cut back on risk and improve returns. So for example, if stocks have historically returned 10% per year and bonds have returned 5% per year, a mix of 50-50 stocks and bonds, you'd have an expected return of 7.5% uh, uh, per year, right? So if that is adequate to you for the amount of risk that you would take, then uh, that would be a good asset allocation uh, to choose, right? So strategic asset allocation is basically just saying, based on where I'm at, based on who I am, uh, let me pick this particular type of strategy. Now, many would argue that that is not going to be indicative of a, a good asset allocation because you change, right? Your comfortability with things changes. Your knowledge about things changes, right? And then ultimately that would need to change your asset allocation as well. So we go to our second uh, asset allocation strategy and that is constant weighting asset allocation, not weighting like, you know, twiddling your thumbs waiting, but weight, like weight, like how much weight you're putting on something. So waiting, right? So strategic asset allocation generally implies a buy and hold strategy. So you buy these specific assets in these specific percentages and you hold them and then just rebalance. Even as the shift in values of assets causes a drift from the initially established policy mix. For this reason, you may prefer to adopt a constant weighting approach to asset allocation. With this approach, you continually rebalance your portfolio. So for example, if one asset declines in value, let's say your stock um, allocation, if it declines in value, you'd purchase more of that asset. And if the asset uh, increases, you would sell some of that asset, right? There are no hard and fast rules for timing portfolio rebalancing uh, under strategic or constant weighting asset allocation. But a common rule of thumb is that the portfolio should be rebalanced to its original mix when any given asset class moves more than 5% from 
uh, its original value. So this constant weighting idea is like, hey, more often we're gonna just rebalance, right? We're gonna try to stay as close to this asset allocation that was chosen uh, as possible. Now, some problems arise here, I think, and those problems come with um, not benefiting as much from uh, your allocation, right? So especially the stock portion of an allocation, um, you know, not benefiting from it as much and uh, constantly selling winners to buy losers. Uh, I think that can be uh, a problem here. I also think the um, costs associated with uh, you know, rebalancing that often um, or trying to remember to rebalance however often, uh, it's just a hassle, right? I, I don't think that that's uh, something that would be necessarily, you know, super helpful, right? Rebalancing far too often can be uh, a problem. And if you're constantly waiting for, um, you know, an asset class to move more than 5% from its original value, then this type uh, of asset allocation is not going to differ uh, greatly from strategic asset allocation, right? Uh, both are telling you basically to do the same thing. Adopt a mix, adopt something that um, is going to be indicative of who you are in your investment time frame, and then just rebalance uh, either as needed or in this case, continuously. Uh, but I just don't know how you would just go about continuously uh, rebalancing and how beneficial that may be. I would argue uh, that continual rebalancing would probably decrease returns now, it would probably provide you returns that are more indicative of the asset allocation that you chose. Um, but I, I've also seen that we're like differing from like 5% up or down from the original asset allocation value. It's not going to have a huge impact on what you choose to do as an investor. But if you get these wild swings and changes of asset mixes, like if you go from like 50% stocks to the stocks, um, you know, really boom and the bonds really stink and you get to 70, 75% stocks, that can really change the way you feel and change the way that you act. But if you go from like 70% stocks to 75% stocks, I mean, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to be the worst thing. So now I kind of lean more towards the idea of strategic asset allocation than uh, constant waiting, but these are not the only strategies. So we will move along. Okay. So the third asset allocation strategy that we have here is called tactical asset allocation, okay? So over the long run, a strategic asset allocation strategy may seem relatively rigid, right? So you, like we said, you just choose something and you stick with it, okay? Therefore, you may find it necessary to occasionally engage in short-term tactical deviations uh, from the mix to capitalize on unusual or exceptional investment opportunities. This flexibility adds a market timing component to the portfolio, allowing you to participate in economic conditions more favorable for one asset class than for others. Tactical asset allocation can be described as a moderately active strategy uh, since the overall uh, strategic asset mix is returned to uh, when desired short-term profits are achieved. This strategy demands some discipline as you must first be able to recognize when short-term opportunities have run their course and then rebalance the portfolio to the long-term asset position. I don't love this, okay, but I don't hate it. And I'll tell you the reasons for both things, okay? First of all, the reason I don't love it uh, is because I've preached to you guys time and time again that timing the market is nowhere near as good as time in the market, right? Just staying invested, staying the course, picking an asset allocation and sticking with it is going to be valuable uh, and going to outperform in the vast majority of cases. Now, this is not to say um, that 
there are situations where things change, right? And where certain things just don't seem to work anymore. And I'll give you an example, okay? Uh, an example would be a zero interest rate environment similar to what we've been in, okay? And here's why. Because if, in fact, rates get as low as they will go, okay? Now, that's not to say that the Fed would never revert to negative rates. That's just saying that that hasn't been on the table for them in the recent past, okay? But let's say, you know, you get decreases, you get quantitative easing, right? You get this, um, you know, decrease in interest rates down to a, a zero bound. Well, if you get to zero interest rates, then the interest rates aren't going to fall any lower, which means that bond prices are not going to benefit from decreases in interest rates as much as they did previously, right? So really from there, the only way that interest rates can go is up, right? And if they can only go up, that means that bond prices are going to be negatively affected uh, by the interest rate movements from there on, right? And so naturally, where are people going to flock? Where have we seen people flock? To the stock market, right? So if you get in that type of position where you have, let's say, a 50-50 portfolio of stocks and bonds, and now you're in a you know zero interest rate environment and you've benefited all you can from the appreciation uh, of bond prices um, based on decreasing uh, yields, and now you're like, okay, well, yields can't go any lower. Well, maybe you take a larger uh, position in stocks at that particular time um, and allow you to benefit from the fact that things have in fact changed, that you're not in a normal environment. Now, there are also problems with this. I mean, ultimately keeping up with uh, market conditions, knowing, like uh, I said a moment ago, uh, when short-term opportunities are over or knowing when they even arise in the first place can be problematic, right? In many cases, tactical asset allocation um, is best used through like some type of active manager. Uh, there are many active managers that um, you know, bring this into the mix. And there are many portfolios that do just this, right? Um, I saw this as an investment advisor representative. We had some tactical asset allocation portfolios and uh, some that did quite well. So uh, they looked to decrease uh, the downside uh, risk, right? They looked to uh, take advantage of, of short-term plays uh, to get returns, but uh, ultimately we're looking to hedge risk as well. So um, tactical asset allocation, I think, can be valuable, but uh, the timing component is just worrisome, especially for the uh, general investor. So just keep that in mind if that's something that you're interested in. The fourth type of asset allocation is dynamic asset allocation, right? So this is another asset allocation strategy. And with this strategy, you constantly adjust the mix of assets as markets rise and fall, and as the economy strengthens and weakens. With this strategy, you sell assets that decline and purchase assets that increase, right? So this makes dynamic asset allocation the polar opposite of constant weighting. So for example, if the stock market shows weakness, you sell stocks in anticipation of further decreases. And if the market is strong, you purchase stocks in anticipation of continued market gains. I'll just tell you this. I like this far, far less uh, than the idea of um, constant waiting, right? At least with constant waiting um, and any type of rebalancing that you may do, what you're doing is you are buying uh, the thing that has been beaten down, right? You're buying a beaten down asset class. Uh, instead, with dynamic asset allocation, what you're doing is you're buying uh, the allocation that is going up in value, right? 
And uh, this is just against everything we know uh, as investors. Now, somebody's made it work, right? Somebody uh, has, has made this uh, into a profitable strategy before. This wouldn't be one that I was talking about today, uh, but I don't like it uh, near as much as I like buying the undervalued assets. Now, I do think uh, that there is a place for uh, being dynamic in how you set your asset allocation. So I do think um, that the dynamic nature should be based on you being dynamic, not the market being dynamic and not economics being dynamic, the, the economic environment being dynamic. I, I don't think that's what's dynamic. I think you are dynamic. I think you change. I think your situation change. I think your needs change. And when they do, then your asset allocation should also uh, change, right? And I think if you do have some type of you know dynamic allocation, some changing allocation, then um, you know it needs to be based on some trading strategy or some uh, investing strategy that has to do with underlying economics or underlying market conditions. That like okay, if if uh, this hits this rule, then we do this, or if this hits this rule, then we do this, right? If this drops below this 50-day moving average, then we do this, right? There need to be some hard and fast rules if you are going to implement dynamic asset allocation, not just start buying once things go up and sell when things go down. There need to be some more specific rules. It needs to be more rule-based uh, or else you're just asking to lose money in this type of strategy. Then the fifth asset allocation strategy is the insured asset allocation, right? So with an insured asset allocation strategy, you establish a base portfolio value under which the portfolio should not be allowed to drop. As long as the portfolio achieves a return above its base, you exercise active management, relying on analytical research, forecast, judgment, and experience to decide which securities to buy, hold, sell, uh, or whatever with the aim of increasing the portfolio value as much as possible. If the portfolio should ever drop to the base value, you invest in risk-free assets such as treasuries, especially T-bills, uh, so the base value becomes fixed. Uh, at this time, you would consult with your advisor, reallocate your assets, perhaps even changing your investment strategy entirely. So insured asset allocation uh, may be suitable for risk-averse investors who desire a certain level of active portfolio management but appreciate the security of establishing a guaranteed floor below which the portfolio is not allowed to decline. For example, an investor who wishes to establish a minimum standard of living during retirement may find an insured asset allocation strategy ideally suited uh, to his or her management goals. Now, I think this is interesting. Um, and the investment that you do you know, above doesn't have to be true active management. It's just like have the investments in whatever way you want them to be. And this is very similar to uh, the buckets approach to retirement, right? Uh, where we would say like, you know, have this much in liquid cash for a year or two years, have your more moderate investments set up, and then, you know, your long-term higher risk investments you can have invested in whatever it is, because you know that you're gonna have the money that you need, right? You're not gonna drop below the minimum threshold that you need. And the same is kind of the case here for insured asset allocation. Um, I would suggest that this is something that you are going to do. Um, have just a very, very well thought out, good plan. Uh, don't just go about it all willy nilly, right? Don't just say, oh, well now, I, you know, it's above the base. I can, uh, you know, have active management and I can, you know, invest in all these individual stocks. Don't necessarily do that, right? Uh, still, you need to choose your asset mix very carefully 
right? Um, and, you know, maybe you exercise a little bit more risk once, you know, you're above your base or above uh, the level that you need to be. And that's perfectly fine because you're above the place that you need to be. But uh, you need to just keep in mind that, um, you know, markets are risky, right? You need to keep in mind that things can change. Um, you need to keep in mind that things can change. Uh, and just know that even though you have insured yourself with whatever level of safety in your portfolio, uh, that if that level of safety ever gets um, to not be enough for your level of risk aversion, then you need to make a change. Then the sixth and last uh, asset allocation strategy that I want to talk about is integrated asset allocation. So with integrated asset allocation, you consider both your economic expectations and your risk in establishing an asset mix. While all of the strategies mentioned um, have accounted for expectations of future market returns, not all of them account for the investor's risk tolerance, right? That's where integrated asset allocation comes into play. The strategy includes aspects of all the previous ones, accounting not only for expectations, but also actual changes in capital markets and your risk tolerance. Integrated asset allocation is broader asset allocation, but it cannot include both dynamic and constant weighting allocation since an investor would not wish to implement two strategies that compete with one another. So basically, an integrated asset allocation is basically saying we're going to take everything into account, right? We're going to take as much into account as we can. We are going to take into account uh, choosing an asset mix and trying to stick with it, right? And then we're going to rebalance as needed, whether it's based on you know, selling the winners to buy the losers uh, or selling the losers uh, and buying more winners, right? Whatever you're choosing to do there, um, it's going to be tactical, right? Basically, you're going to try to take advantage of short-term trends in some way. Uh, and there's going to be some, uh, you know, minimum threshold that you're not going to want to fall under because it's going to be insured as well. And I think being integrated is the way to go. And you can decide how much of each type of strategy you want to employ, right? But ultimately what we need to remember is that asset allocation is not something that is 100% set it and forget it. Now that's not to say that you can't choose like a 60-40 portfolio and be perfectly happy with returns over long periods of time. But I'm just going to tell you that you change, okay? And your needs change and your portfolio should change to meet your needs. Okay, and the only way that's going to happen is if there's some level of activity going on and there's some type of integrated um, you know, decision making between you and your advisor or whomever else in, is involved, the portfolio manager uh, that is managing the money in a way uh, that will meet the needs that you have for said money. Okay, um, ultimately, what I think is necessary most uh, of all is that you have an asset allocation that is specific to you. So what I would do uh, if, you know, I, I am an investor, right? But let's say I'm worried about my asset mix, right? Or if I want to make changes or whatever, I would do one of two things. I would either just take a strategic approach where I said, okay, this is my asset mix. So I'm going to stick with, I'm going to keep putting money away because that'll be tried and true and that'll work. Okay. I'll either do that or I'll do something that's very integrated, right? And you may say, well, those are two totally different sides of the spectrum, Dylan. Well, not really, right? Because, because either way, I need to understand myself and I need to understand my needs, right? But one is just choosing an extremely passive approach, right? And the other one's saying, okay, I'm still going to be pretty passive, okay? But 
uh, as need be, I'm going to adjust this for changes in me, for changes in the economic environment, for changes in other things, right? I'm gonna be a little more elastic in the way uh, I decide my asset mix. And I think that is okay, right? But just don't get into uh, playing this game of, you know, uh, I, I need to change my asset mix every time any little thing happens, right? Uh, in that case, if you feel like you're a very, you know, trigger happy person in that way, uh, then by all means, pick a strategic approach and just continue on as long as you need to. But regardless, asset allocation is something that must be thought of in your financial life. And if your asset allocation is 100% stocks and that's what you're going to do, by all means. If your asset allocation is 100% bonds and that works for you, by all means. But do what works for you, do what works for your knowledge, and do what works for your needs. Okay, because ultimately we all need to be growing our money for something. And if you're not going to be able to meet your needs and meet your goals, then what is the point of investing in the first place? So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything that you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan. And that's really good supplemental materials uh, to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can do that. Just DM me on any of the major social media sites and tell me that you are interested in financial coaching sessions. And you and I can begin working together, pushing towards your long-term financial goals and ultimately pushing you on towards long-term financial freedom, which is what I hope for every single individual who's watching or listening to this show on a day-to-day -day basis. So tune in next week as I continue talking about personal finance topics that I think can be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.